Well, good morning, church. Man, I'm glad we can be together today, and I'm glad that you are here today. Uh, Before I even get started, I want to share with you something and celebrate something that I think is really exciting. Our students, some of you know, our our teenagers just got back from Impact at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee. Our middle schoolers spent four days there over the weekend, last weekend, and our our high school students were there for uh, this past week. And uh, last night, Grayson gets home and he sends me this text message with a video uh, sharing the good news uh, that one of our own, Reagan, uh, Reagan Cowdery has been baptized. His dad Russell's over here. And I want to just take him. Oh, yeah, go ahead and celebrate. But I want to show you the video too. So if you would take a second, this is a short video of Reagan being baptized at Impact. Let's watch this together. All right. We've got Reagan here. Um, sorry about this, man. I've got one question for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, Son of God, that He came to earth and died for your sins? Yes. Excellent. That's all. Awesome. Well, it's with that confession that I that I baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. Reagan, we celebrate with you. Praise God. So incredible to see someone else come and make that confession of faith to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. You know, at Riverside, this, this calendar year, we've now seen eight people baptized into Jesus. And I think that is just incredible. God is moving in this church. If you don't believe that, you need to look up because it's just amazing to see the hand of God at work in and among uh, uh, this group of people uh, this year. It's, it's, it's incredible, and I'm so thankful to see God continuing to move uh, in, in our church, in our students, in our youth ministry in so many ways. It's, it's an incredible thing, uh, at least for me. I know I get to a different vantage point than a lot of you, but I get to see so many good things that God is doing in this place, and it's awesome. It's awesome. Well, today we're, we're continuing this series, a summer series. If you've missed out, I'll catch up real quick. It's called Move. All we're doing through the summer is just looking at the Gospel of Mark, trying to trace the movements of Jesus to see where he's making a move and to ask ourselves maybe where is Jesus asking us to make a move in our lives. And today I want to I look at that again. But before we do, I, I want to share with you just this principle, this idea. I was reminded of it this past week. It's really simple, uh, but it goes like this. When what was intended for one thing becomes a different thing, we have to ask ourselves if it's the right thing. You understand that? Uh, I I got this uh, because we were driving along this past week. Uh, Me and my wife and my son were on our way to Omaha, Nebraska. And I know you're asking, why in the world would you drive to Omaha, Nebraska? It's hot, it's dusty, all that is true. But my son was playing in in a baseball tournament there and the College World Series was there, which is pretty cool. We got to go to one of those games, which was awesome. But we're driving up the road to Nebraska. I'm, I'm the one driving, staring out the window into nothingness. Um, uh, my wife is next to me looking at her phone. My son is in the back looking at his iPad. So the car is quiet. And all of a sudden, my wife like, starts laughing out loud. And, of course, Will and I kind of perk up. And we're like, what's so funny? And that's when she shared this with me. And maybe you saw this, but she shared that, that apparently IHOP, has decided to change their name to IHOB. Did you, did you hear about this? IHOB decided to change their name to IHOB. They announced this on June 4th, uh, that they were going to make this change, but they didn't, they didn't say what the B in IHOB was going to stand for. So, of course, the Internet just went wild with speculation. You know, is the B going to stand for bacon? 
That would have been a good decision. Can I get an amen? Uh, would the B stand for biscuits? Eh, that might make, make sense as well. Uh, it wasn't going to be for bacon. The B wasn't going to stand for biscuits. They, they announced they were going to change the name and actually change some of the signage for some of their stores from IHOP to IHOB to sort of market a new item on their menu. It wasn't bacon. It wasn't biscuits. It was going to be burgers. Exactly. Yeah, that was the response. Yeah. But why are you changing your name uh, to burgers? Well, of course, as soon as they made the announcement that the beast stood for burgers, the Twitterverse went wild with making fun of them. And I thought I would share some of these tweets with you just to kind of get you started today. Netflix was the first to tweet. They said, be right back, changing my name to Netflix. <laughs> Burger King changed their icon to Pancake King. White Castle tweeted out that they were changing their name to Pancake Castle. Whataburger, I love this, they said, as much as we love our pancakes, we would never change our name to what a pancake. <laughs> My favorite, though, was Wendy's. Somebody tweeted Wendy's and asked if they were really going to let IHOP sell burgers on their block. And Wendy's tweeted, tweeted in response, not really afraid of the burgers from a place that decided pancakes were too hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When what was intended for one thing becomes a different thing, we have to stop and ask ourselves, is it the right thing? And sometimes it's just not. It's just not. We all know how this works. This happens in our lives too. We can make fun of IHOP, but it happens for all of us. A few years ago when Alicia and I moved here, we bought a house and the moving truck showed up. Some of you came and helped us. You remember how this went. It it happened the same for you, I'm guessing. Uh, We unloaded the boxes and everything that was mission critical went into the house. So if it was kids' clothes or kids' furniture or stuff for the kitchen, we immediately put that in place and unpacked those things as quickly as possible so that we could, like, function and live and do life as quickly as possible. If it wasn't mission critical to, like, the next day or the next week, where did it go? The garage, right? And, And what happened was, real quickly, our garage, which was intended to shield our cars from Texas hailstorms that apparently come quite often, (laughs) became a storage unit, right? And it was packed with boxes. And the problem was is that one thing led to another, and we got busy, and life happened. And and what we we had intended to go clean that out and to reclaim it for its original purpose, but, but life just got in the way, and we got busy. And so a year goes by, and our garage is still a storage unit. Another year goes by, and our garage is still a storage unit. Then last summer... My grandparents called and said, hey, we want to get the kids for a couple of weeks. And we're like, yes. And so Alicia and I shipped the kids off. And we're thinking, two weeks at home, all alone, no kids. I look at my wife and I said, are you thinking what I'm thinking? She said, absolutely. Let's clean out the garage. (laughs) That may or may not have been what I was thinking. But that's what we did. We cleaned out the garage. But it had been so packed for so long that... What we had to do was essentially empty it of everything, take everything out so that then we could put back in only what belonged so it could be used for its original intent and purpose. And for us to do that, it took some really hard moves and it took a lot of time. But that's exactly what happens in Mark 11. If you have your Bible, if you have your Bible app, if you want to open up the notes there, you can do that. Open up to Mark 11. Now, what I want us to look at is a story about Jesus. And just to set this up for you, Jesus is about to make a move to the cross, but before he does, he enters Jerusalem and he makes a move in the temple. And this move, I think, gives us a clue maybe for our lives and maybe the move that Jesus wants you to make today. The temple was was built about a thousand years before Jesus walks the planet, so it's been there a long time. 
The temple was the place where the literal, physical, visible presence of God, spirit of God resided and abided. This was the place, literally a a thick cloud filled the temple and filled the most holy place where the presence of God was. When, 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 when the temple was opened and dedicated, Solomon, the king at the time, had the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, into the most holy place. The Ark of the Covenant carried the Ten Commandments. Wherever the Ark went, the Spirit of God went. Wherever the Spirit of God went, the Ark went. And so when the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, the day it was dedicated, the day it was opened, this thick cloud filled the most holy place, filled the temple, came over the temple, and everyone saw it. Everyone knew that this is where the cloud, this is where the Spirit, this is where the living God now dwelled in His temple, in the temple of God, in the city of God, among the people of God. This is where it was. But this wasn't the first time they had seen this cloud. This isn't the first time they'd encountered the Spirit of God like this. In fact, if you back up 480 years before the temple was even built... That's when Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God to get those Ten Commandments. That's when the people of God came around the mountain and saw that same dark, thick cloud cover the mountain and hover over the mountain. And they were terrified in the presence of the living God. But before that, it was that same cloud that had led them out of Egypt across the Red Sea. A cloud by day and a fire by night. Everywhere they went... There was this cloud, there was this presence, there was a spirit of the living God that was leading them wherever he wanted them to go. When it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. And by the way, that might be good advice for your life. When the spirit of God moves, move. When it stops, stop. And it was that spirit of God, it was that presence of God, it was that cloud that they followed. And between Mount Sinai and the promised land, whenever that cloud stopped, they would set up camp. They would set up camp and they would set up this tent that they called a tabernacle, a meeting tent, a tent of meeting. And when they set up that tent, they would set the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place of that tabernacle. And there again, the presence of God, the cloud of God, the the Spirit of God would fill that room and fill that, that tabernacle and hover over it. And they could just see if the presence of God was there, they were there. If it wasn't moving, they weren't moving. If it moved, then they moved. They packed up and they followed wherever it went. And then King David comes along and he's sitting in his palace in Jerusalem and he's like, it is just not right for the presence of God to be stuck in a tent. God, you need a house. You need a temple. You need a place worthy of your presence. So God told David, hey, you get the supplies together. I'm going to let your boy Solomon build it. And Solomon did. And when they built that temple, the Spirit of God came upon that place. And it was a place where people could come and worship. It was a place where people could come and pray, and people did. The people of God who lived there did that often. The people of God who lived far away would would travel in from different places to come and worship at least once a year, if not more. And and that was a place where people could, could form spiritual community and connect with each other. That was a place where people could connect with God and reconnect with God and make things right between them and God. And it was a place where... I mean, it was, a, it was a literal light to all nations where everyone could come and know that this is where the one true God dwells. It was here in the temple of the living God in Israel, in Jerusalem, the people of God. And everyone could come and see that this is the one and only God, the one God who saves. 
And you have to imagine as Jesus, this isn't the first time he's come to the temple, but you've got to imagine as he's coming into the temple again, before he's going to face the cross, there has to be something within him that's kind of rising up, some excitement stirring in his spirit, because you know Jesus is 100% God, 100% divine. He's all God, but he's also 100% human. He's all man. And, and while on earth he's, he's wrapped in flesh, there's a sense in which He's still connected to God the Father and God the Spirit, but there's also got to be a sense in which he's disconnected because he's wrapped in flesh and blood now. And so as he, he comes into Jerusalem and he nears the temple again, you gotta, you got to believe there's something inside of him that's excited to step into the temple again, into where the literal presence of God is dwelling, where that cloud is, and he knows that's where the Spirit of God is, the Spirit that for all eternity he's always been connected to. And he goes in, and he's excited. Because from the very first day the temple was established, it was a place where when you walked in, you could hear the sounds of worship. In fact, when it was first opened, Solomon had the priest 24-7. It was the first praise team. They worshiped God around the clock. He had them scheduled out every hour of the day to be there on site, leading the people of God in worship. 24-7. This went on for days and days, weeks and weeks. People would come there and you could hear them. You could hear the sounds of people lifting up prayers to God in the temple of God because that's where the physical, tangible, visible Spirit of God dwelled and resided. But when Jesus walked into the temple this day, when he made a move toward the temple, he didn't hear the sounds of worship. He didn't hear the sounds of prayer. Instead, what Jesus witnessed was something Completely different. What he saw was vendors who were selling animals to be used for sacrifice, which in and of itself may not have been a bad thing, but they had marked up the prices and they were leveraging the worship of God for a profit, and that was not okay. What he saw was money changers and and truth be told, they needed money changers because people were traveling from faraway places and they needed to, to take their currency and, and, and change it into the currency of Jerusalem so that they could, they could go buy the livestock they needed. It was too far to travel and to bring it with them. They needed to, 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 to buy it there, but, but, but they were being robbed. The rates and the prices to change and turn their money into the currency of Jerusalem was jacked up. Again, people leveraging the worship of God to turn a profit. And when Jesus walked in to a place where the physical, visible presence of God was so near, yet the people's hearts were so far away. Well, this is what happened. Mark 11, verse 15. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his followers. Jesus entered the temple. And began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he, this is the word you underline, he stopped. He stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. See, by allowing his presence to fill the temple, God had made the first move towards his people. But now people 
had lost sight of his presence and instead fixed their sights on personal gain. You got people selling livestock for sacrifices to worship God at prices far above what they should have been. You're ripping off poor people coming to worship. You've got money changers over here trading in currency at jacked up prices, ripping off poor people who are trying to go and and worship God. You've got people that are cutting across the temple courtyards trying to get from point A to point B and use it as a shortcut, have no presence of mind of the presence of God. And Jesus, what does he do? I want you to imagine just a frenetic, chaotic activity going on on the temple ground and Jesus stops all of it. Flips over tables, kicks out the money changers, gets all of them out of there, stops all the coming through traffic, and all of a sudden, what was a frenetic, chaotic place? All that stops. All of it's quiet. All of it's still. A place of chaos was restored to a place of peace. Shalom is the Hebrew word. He made things the way they were supposed to be. Because what was intended as one thing had become a different thing, and it wasn't the right thing. And he said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer, For all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And you look at this and you read this and you understand what's going on, at least you try to, and you think, man, Jesus was really upset about the temple. And if you think that, you've missed it. Because Jesus was not upset about the temple, was he? What Jesus was upset about was the people. He was upset about the people who who were so close to a God who had made a significant move towards them. Who were so physically close to the presence of God, yet whose hearts were so far away. They were so close to his physical presence, yet they were so far, their hearts were so far away. How could they? Think about that. How could they? How could they do that? How could they be in the temple that their their fathers and their mothers and their grandfathers and their grandmothers, they had told stories about this God who had delivered them from Exodus. They had told stories about this cloud that had led them through the wilderness to the promised land. They had told stories about all the things that God has done. And now they can see it with their own eyes. They're at the temple that was built by Solomon. Uh, They're they're at the temple where the, the Ark of the Covenant resides, where they can see the cloud of the presence of God is right there. How could they forget how close to God they were? How could they forget what they should be doing in this place called the temple. How could they forget to worship? How could they forget to pray? If you're like me, it's real easy to judge them until we stop and ask the question, how could we? How could you? You and I living on this side of the cross... Well, Paul said it this way. Let me, let me just share this with you. Paul was a follower of Jesus, and he wrote this to another church that came along a few years later. And he said, I want you to realize this. Don't you realize 
that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. For God's temple is holy. And oh, by the way, you, you are that temple. You and I, as believers and followers of Jesus, you and I living on this side of the cross, we are the temple collectively and individually. We are the temple where the Spirit of the God, of God resides. Yet how often do we forget? How often do we fill our lives with things that are far from God? In fact, I wonder if Jesus were to walk into your heart and your life today, if Jesus were to walk into my heart and my life today, let's just be honest with ourselves for a moment. What tables would he be flipping over? What attitudes and behaviors would would Jesus be driving out? How distressed, how upset, how angry would Jesus be if he came into our hearts and our lives and he found our hearts and lives filled with so many things that were far from him. All the while, we know that the Spirit of God is dwelling in us because we, those of us who, like Reagan, have made the decision to follow Jesus and be baptized into his name. And when that happens, God does something. God makes a move that none of us can make on our own. God washes away our sin. And God gives us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to be that same guide by day and by night, to lead us, to comfort us, to do all that the Spirit does for us. How could we forget and how could we fill our lives with so many things that are far from God? If Jesus were to walk into your heart and your life today, what tables would he flip over? What attitudes and behaviors would he be driving out to reclaim your heart and your life as God's throne? What would Jesus need to do? What do you need to do to let Jesus move in your heart and your life? What do you need to let Jesus remove altogether so that you can make a move towards God in prayer so that your house can be what it was always intended to be, a house of prayer? Because my guess is if you're anything like me, What was intended to be one thing has become a different thing. And it's probably not the right thing. And the only way to get back to that original intent is to remember your true identity. The only way to get back to that original intent maybe is to clean out everything that doesn't belong and put back only what does belong. Because everything begins with a move. I remember sitting with a friend it was the middle of the night. He called. He said, I need you to come over here. So I did. And we were close. But I had no idea what was going on in his life. And he tells me the story of how an innocent relationship had become something more. One text turned into two texts, turned into more. And now his marriage was likely over. His life was forever changed. Because he made a move and that relationship went unchecked. And what was intended to be one thing became a different thing and it wasn't the right thing. And I sat with a teenage girl who had come home from college who had been in my ministry. And she's like, can we get together at Starbucks? And absolutely. And she tells me the story of of a relationship that began with her and this other guy and What began as one thing was becoming a different thing, and he wanted more, and she said no, but then she gave in, and he left, and her life was left a mess. And 
What began as one thing became a different thing, and it wasn't the right thing. And there's many stories as there are people to tell them. You have these stories. I have these stories. We know these stories. We live these stories. It happens every day. We were created for one thing. You were made for one thing. You were made to be a place where the Spirit of God resides and abides in you. You were made to be a house of worship. You were made to be a place of prayer. But so many times I think what happens in us is the same thing that happened in this temple in Mark 11 is we get filled with so many things that are so far from our original intent. And you know what, you know what my guess is? It, it, it didn't happen overnight. Like I think those guys selling animals for sacrifices, my guess, I, don't, I can't prove this, but my guess is it started off with really good intentions. Like, hey, hey, we got people coming from all over to worship God, and it's really too far for them to bring animals to sacrifice. It's a, it's, a, it's a hassle. It's a huge deal. Why don't we go ahead and set up a place where they can come, and they can, just, they can just buy what they need to go worship God. It'll be a service to the people of God. I'm sure it will start out with a really, really good intention. And oh, by the way, when they come in, they're bringing currency from far off places, and, and we really can't use that money here, so let's set up this place where they can trade that in, and we'll do it, you know, even, one for one. You know, this is just a service to the people of God as they come to worship the living God. And what happened over time? Well, you know, it is a lot of trouble. What if we just mark it up a little bit? Well, you know, we've got some overhead to take care of these animals. What if we just... Before long, what started as one thing became a different thing, and it wasn't the right thing. And when Jesus walked in with what I believe was a desire to reconnect with the Spirit of God at the temple, with what I believe was a desire to see the people of God engaged in the worship of God, praying to God, The temple as a place where all nations could come and learn of the great love of God. What he saw instead was a place, a sacred space and place filled with sin. And it absolutely destroyed him. And so he went in and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And I'm just wondering what needs to stop in you today. Because, again, my guess is if you're anything like me, that sometimes you just need to stop. I've been really blessed over the years, and I I don't say this to prop myself up. I just say this to make a point. But I've been blessed over the years from time to time to kind of withdraw and go on a personal retreat to a monastery to pray. And the first time I did this was back in the early 2000s. And, and I remember going and, and, and I went for a week up to this monastery in Kentucky called Gethsemane to spend a week in silence. Do you know how hard it is to spend a week in silence? I don't talk much anyway. I, you probably think I do. I really don't outside of this. I don't, I'm not much of a talker. But it was really hard to sit in silence and to be quiet before God for a week. But I came to believe that this is true, and, and, and I even believe that you believe this is true, that the most important thing you could do today would be to spend uninterrupted time in the presence of the living God. I believe that. 
And I believe that you believe that. that The most important thing that you or I could do today, what could be more important than you taking five minutes, taking ten minutes to sit quietly, to pray, to be before the living God? But my guess is that so few of us do that. But maybe, just maybe, that's what we need. It's to stop. To ask Jesus, to invite him even, to come into our heart and life. To take out anything that is not of him, anything that would move us away from him, and fill us once again with his spirit. Let his spirit reside and abide with us so that we could be a people filled with his Holy Spirit. Maybe that's what we need, is to stop and to pray and to invite Jesus in, to turn over some tables and to drive out some things and to fill us again with his spirit, to move us to pray. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. So here's the rest of the story, verse 18. After Jesus did this, when the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. I want you to let that settle in for a moment. After Jesus drove out the vendors and cast out the money changers and restored the temple to a place of prayer, those in power started planning how to kill him because they were disrupting the system. He was disrupting their system. He was threatening their authority. He was, he was threatening their power and their position, and they wanted to get rid of him. And you know how the story goes. They did. They did. They killed him. They had him murdered, falsely accused, tried, convicted, nailed to a cross, and they killed him. But when that happened, something else happened that they never saw coming. You see, in that temple where the Spirit of God dwelled, it was in the most holy place. And the thing that separated that little room that held the Ark of the Covenant, that, that, that contained the Spirit of God, if you will, uh, from the rest of the temple, the thing that separated the two, the two was this huge veil, this huge curtain. And Mark would later say, the Gospels tell us that when Jesus breathed his last breath, when he hung his head and he died, this is what happened. That veil that contained the Spirit of God in the most holy place in the temple, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom, not by human hands, by the way. And when that happened, the Spirit of God left the temple and would never return. But it would return. Because Jesus was resurrected, and then about 40 days later, after being seen by some 500 people, he ascended back to be with the Father in heaven. And his believers... Those who were followers of Jesus were sitting in a room waiting for God to move. Get this. They stopped all activity. They were sitting quietly waiting on God to make a move. And you know what happened? God moved. His spirit returned and it filled the believers. It sounded like a rushing wind coming through the place. It was crazy. The Spirit of God returned to his believers, and the Spirit of God is still looking to return to believers. Because you and I are the temple 
of the living, the spirit of the living God. But the question that you and I have to answer is really simple. Will you stop what you're doing and allow Jesus to call you back to life lived in the presence of God? Or, or will you try to do away with Jesus and hang on to your own power, authority, and position? My prayer is that you would stop, that you would be still, and that you would ask Jesus to come show you what it's like to live in the life in the presence of God. Today, if, if you've never made that move and you want to do like Reagan and you want to become a temple of the living God, a place where the Spirit of God resides, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to see you baptized into Jesus. Like I said, we've seen eight this year. We'd love to see eight more. I'm going to ask our shepherds and their wives to just make their way around the room. And if you want to find one of them, they would love to talk to you and pray with you about that. If you, if you want someone just to pray with you and usher you into the presence of God and say, hey, in my heart, in my life right now, I need some tables kicked over. I need some stuff driven out. Would you just pray for me that God, that Jesus would come into my heart and my life and do what he did in Mark 11 in that temple and reclaim me as a place where the spirit, where his spirit can reside and abide. We would love to pray for you for that as well. Because God is going to start moving in you when you stop moving and you are still. This is what I believe. God will start moving in you when you stop moving and you are still. I've asked Dan, if you guys would come on up, to lead a couple of songs to end today. They're a little different. And as we sing these songs, what I want you to do is, if you need to respond, please respond and let us help you in any way we can. But if not, I want you to just sing these songs and these lyrics with us. And for us as a church, just as we end today, just to be still, to make this move towards stillness, to make this move back towards Jesus. Let's sing.